Father, we have um, come today to hear you speak, and we pray that your word will speak truth to us. We pray that you will give us ears to hear, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. I'm going to be a little bit transparent with you. There are some parts of Scripture that I don't really like. In fact, if it were up to me, I think I would say, let's take that out. You know, the people through the ages who have done that, um, Luther wanted to exclude the book of James from the canon in the context of his the Reformation struggle. You can understand that. Thomas Jefferson uh, didn't think the supernatural should be a part of, of the Scriptures, and so he created his own Bible that he cut and pasted, and it ends at the end of, uh, near the end of the John's Gospel where they put Jesus in the grave, and that's done. And I suspect that every one of us at some time or another has read a passage of Scripture and thought, yikes, I think life would be a little simpler if that weren't a part of it. Sometimes it's because we don't like what it's saying to us. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes we realize that people have misinterpreted and gone off on a tangent about it. But there's something that we may find in Scripture that we wish either were different or weren't there at all. When you come to this passage in Luke 14, you run into one of those places for a lot of us. I mean, the very heading that's in my Bible, which Bruce read as well, is the cost of being a disciple. That in of itself is enough to cause a number of us to say, I think I'll skip that and read on something else. But here's the truth of the matter. If we believe that being a Christian is easy, that it's not costly, we have totally misunderstood the gospel. Now, that's a hard concept for most of us because we tend to like to shape the gospel and discipleship and even our relationship with Christ in our own image. We, we like thinking about Christ as someone who fulfills our dreams, who gives us what we want. We, we like to think of, of discipleship as sort of the, you know, how it feels comfortable as wearing an old pair of jeans. Or as simple as reciting the alphabet. Or, or as convenient as email, Facebook, and Google. We just click and go. Calvin Miller says there are a lot of Christians who are Christaholics. 
We see Christ as a means to the next high, as some sort of happiness pill. We, we, we go to Christ only when we need another fix. But to think of Christ in terms of being costly and discipleship as being difficult is hard for our minds to grasp. And the truth of the matter is, being a disciple of Christ is the most strenuous most demanding decision anyone will ever make. But there's no one that demands more of us than Christ does. And until that truth gets into us and envelops us and permeates us and shakes us up a little bit, we're probably just playing games with God. And our lives are going to be stagnant and Lifeless. And this is exactly what Jesus addresses here in this 14th chapter of Luke's gospel. Now it starts out innocent enough. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem and this large crowd of people is surrounding him. And you can understand why. If you've read the stories up to this point, you can see why they're magnetized to Jesus. He's been healing people, casting out demons, And just before this, you know that this group of probably poor and outcast people loved it when Jesus at this banquet, earlier in chapter 14, put the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the wealthy in their place and said to all of them, you're welcome in my kingdom. My kingdom's about people who feel hopeless and outcast." No wonder they're sort of like metal filings to a magnet with Jesus. But you get the sense that as they continue on this journey, that Jesus is concerned that this large group of people following him doesn't really grasp discipleship. And so to get their attention, to help them understand that Jesus makes this outrageous statement. And it's one of those statements in Scripture that makes us nervous. Hard to understand. In fact, it's, it's confusing. He says in verse 20, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It's a pretty harsh word. Is it really true that Jesus wants us to hate our family? To hate ourselves? That that's the definition of being a disciple? Now, there are some people who have taken these words of Jesus literally. And they have shaped their life in such a way that they believe following Jesus means cutting themselves off from all of their family, particularly from family who doesn't agree with them on every point of their particular theology. I I know uh, of a, a missionary couple who, it seems to me, has taken that position. 
and they have, they've cut themselves off from their family. And, and it seems to be that they have done that because they don't believe their family is as spiritual as they are. Despite the fact that their family, are, their people in their family are also missionaries, pastors, deeply committed, godly believers, followers of Christ. But because they don't agree with them on every point, and because they take this passage literally, they've cut themselves off. And even when the wife's mother was dying of cancer, she's not going to spend time with her family. I don't think that's what Jesus means. The scriptures are pretty clear about where to honor father and mother. We're supposed to take care of our family, particularly our immediate family. In fact, Tim, Paul says to Timothy, anyone who doesn't provide for his relatives, especially for those who are closest to him, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So that can't be what Jesus means. The problem is, we take those words and say, well, that can't be what Jesus means. And we use that as an excuse to say, well, it doesn't really mean that much. But the reality is, I think these words of Jesus are probably more serious than we typically take them. Jesus uses a strong word here. It doesn't just mean feeling feeling, uh, opposition to a certain action. It's having a deep-seated hostility toward that action. And we understand that in terms of things like the biblical injunctions to hate sin, to hate evil. That makes sense to us. But to hate another person doesn't make sense. And so many translations, if you read them, will soften Jesus' words. And and maybe that's okay. But it seems to me that if Jesus really wanted his words softened, he could have used a softer word. I think his point is not, I want you to literally feel hatred toward other people. I literally feel hatred toward yourself. I don't think that's what he's saying, but I think he is saying, this is serious. And most of us don't take it seriously enough. It's not abandonment. It's not animosity. It's not bitterness toward other people. But it's connected to a Hebrew idiom that simply means to love less. And Jesus says, disciples, his followers, love everything else and everyone else less than they love him. And he uses a word that makes us feel uncomfortable. He uses a word that causes us to stop and ask, what does that mean? Because otherwise, we would glibly read over it and move on. Being a disciple of Christ is demanding. And the call of Christ upon his disciples is to love everything else and everyone else less than we love him. Now, I suspect as Jesus, these words come out of Jesus' mouth and he sees the constrained and confused look on the people's faces, he realizes that... Uh, He needs to help them understand this. 
And so he paints them a couple of images. And in verses 26 and 27 are his way of asking, here's what I'm expecting of you. Then verses 28 to 33 are his way of asking, are you willing to take on those expectations? And he talks about a man who sets out to build a tower, but he doesn't count the cost and he comes up short. And about a king who's preparing to go to battle and he's realizing that his army is significantly undermanned compared to the army he's thinking of attacking. And the point of of both of those stories is a call to understand the cost and being ready to commit to that cost. It's common sense. It's what we do when you plan to make a major purchase and build a house, you buy a car, you think about going to college. You sit down and and a lot of people, you'd open up a spreadsheet on the computer and you start putting in numbers you get out your, your bank statements, you start going over your bills, go to Consumer Reports and see what they have to say about whatever it is you're trying to figure out. And eventually, if that house or that car or that education is more important to you, is of most importance to you, then you find a way to make it happen. You sacrifice something else in order to see this take place. And in a sense, you're saying, I'm going to love this stuff less than I love this. You count the cost. Because you don't want to get into the middle of it and realize, whoa, this is a lot more than I bargained for. And Jesus wants us to realize up front, this is what I'm expecting of you. Count the cost. We tend to think about the most precious things in our lives. We tend to hold them with a closed fist. Jesus is calling us to open up our hands. It's not a coincidence that he's talking to us about things that are most precious to us. I mean, what's more precious to us than our closest relationships? And we're all pretty possessive of our closest relationships. We hang on tightly to them. That's what human beings do. We grab them. We clutch them. We want to possess them. And, And sometimes it's not even in a bad way. But whatever way we do that, Christ is saying, as my disciple... Why don't you let it go? I want you to let go of your spouse and let me have them. I want you to let go of your child and let me have them. I want you to let go of your parents and let me have them. Your brothers, your sister, your closest friends. I want you to open up your hands and let me have them. When Jesus speaks of carrying our cross, he's, he may well be calling us to be willing to die physically. And certainly there have been followers of Jesus through the ages 
who have done just that. But I suspect for most of us, at least at this point in our, in our lives, it will be a willingness to give up not so much our physical lives as everything about our lives. The dreams, the goals, the plans, the desires that we each live with, that drive us and that we believe bring fulfillment to us. Those things that we hold on to so tightly, let it go. Open up and let God have it. Our educational dreams, our our dreams of wealth and fame and status, our dreams of of our reputation. That's not bad stuff. In fact, a lot of it's good stuff. But as disciples of Christ, we realize that he's more important than any of those things. We open up our hands and say, Lord, this is my dream, but if you have a different one for me, okay. No wonder discipleship is so difficult for us. There are those things deep within us, those places, those dreams, those those hopes that that are so deep within our hearts that we, we don't even talk about them that much. Because to hear the words come out of our mouths about them is to remind us of the pain and the heartache and the difficulties we have in the void that's in our lives because something hasn't happened that we wanted to or something did happen that would give anything to have not happened. Even those things, Christ is saying, let them go. Give them to me. That's what discipleship is about. so hard. It's a battle. It's a struggle for every single one of us. And it's a lifelong struggle. It's a day-to-day, moment-to-moment kind of struggle of continually counting the cost and opening our hands. It's not easy, which is exactly why Jesus says, I'm going to tell you up front, here's what I'm asking of you. Here's what I'm demanding of you. Count the cost. Because it's the most demanding thing you'll ever face in your life. It's letting go. I suspect that there are some of you who enjoy going to auctions. I've not really been to very many auctions in my life, but it looks like kind of a, an interesting and, and fun thing to do. And, and I suspect that you have come to realize, those of you who like auctions, that, that there are a couple of things at least that you need to make sure you have in mind long before the first gavel goes down on the table and the thing begins. For one thing, you, you want to have clearly in your mind that when you go, that you are careful to watch your movements. You know, you don't want an itchy nose or, you know, a, a twitch of your arm or an innocent wave to mean that uh, you spent some money you never intended to spend on something you never intended to buy. 
That can be a dangerous thing. So you want to you remember right up front, you've got to watch my, my movements. But the other thing you, you ought to also be careful about is, is knowing before any of the bidding begins what your upper limit price is going to be. You need to have that firmly established in your mind. I, this is the item I'm looking at, and I'm not paying anything more than this. If you've ever been in an auction and you've started bidding, you know how easy it is to get caught up in the excitement, the adrenaline's pumping, and all of a sudden, you've bought something for a whole lot more money than you even might even have to spend. So you gotta, but you've got to get that clear in your mind before it begins. I'm particularly interested in that second idea. Because having a, an upper spending limit is a, is a really important thing to do when you go to an auction. It's good advice. But when it comes to being a disciple, it'll kill you. But most of us come to Jesus and say, I'll give you this much of my life, but that's all. Lord, I really appreciate what you've done for me, and I want to respond to that, but I've only got this much to give. I'll open a couple of fingers, but you're asking an awful lot to put the whole hand open. And we believe that that kind of discipleship with with an upper spending limit in our relationship with Christ is okay. I mean, we must think it's okay because most of us live that way. And we think, well, it's, it's not that big of a deal to Jesus. It's fine. But when we read passages like this, we're reminded that it's not fine. It's a big deal to Jesus. It does matter, and it's not okay. Half-hearted discipleship is really not discipleship. I mean, Jesus is asking us to be all in. That's what discipleship is. That's the definition of discipleship. That we not just open a finger or two, but our whole hand. And we give it all to Christ. The problem is in thinking that we can go halfway in thinking that we can open up just a little bit, in thinking that we can have this upper limit of how much we'll give to Christ, is that that kind of half-hearted discipleship is destructive to us. It's not just, well, I won't be quite as good as I could be. It's, it's destructive. I think that's the point Jesus is making in these last couple of verses when he talks about salt. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's not fit for soil or even the manure pile. It's thrown out. If salt doesn't have any saltiness, it's just a rock and not a very good rock. What do we do with salt that doesn't have any saltiness? At best, we throw it away. It's worthless. And I know people who read this and call what Jesus is saying here hyperbole, but don't miss Jesus' point. 
that it's dangerous to mess around with discipleship. Because we don't just stay in this sort of half-hearted state. You're either moving forward or you're moving back. And our willingness to surrender to Christ is really the characteristic that defines us belonging to Jesus. And the opposite of discipleship is not just apathy. It's destruction. A surrender is not giving up. It's not rolling over and saying, well, you know, none of this stuff really matters to me anyway. Because the truth is, it all matters to us. Our family's important to us. Our dreams and hopes and goals, they're important to us. And they should be important to us. We wouldn't have to count the cost if it didn't mean something to us. It's because it's so important that we need to let it go and give it to Christ. And we're able to do that. We're able to surrender because it's Christ we're surrendering to. I'm intrigued by the fact that when this chapter ends and you move into the 15th chapter, we find Jesus telling a series of stories that describe for us the heart of our Heavenly Father. Stories of, of, of a lost coin and, and of lost sheep and of lost sons. And in every one of those stories, we get a picture into the heart of our Heavenly Father and His love for us. His, his desire and His willingness to sacrifice for us, to seek us, to do everything possible for us to know His love and grace and mercy. And we can pay a steep price of discipleship because we're surrendering ourselves not to some unpleasable taskmaster, but to our loving Heavenly Father who loves to pour out upon us good gifts, blessings, more than we could have ever imagined for ourselves. The reality is we have a tendency to settle for good when God is offering us best. We have a tendency to settle for pleasure when God is offering us joy. We're willing to say, well, if I could just have a little less turmoil, when all the while Christ is saying, I want to give you peace. Because the truth is what we give up God returns. At some point, we have to believe that giving up is not really depriving us. It's opening up our lives and our relationships and our hopes and dreams to the very best that our loving Heavenly Father has for us. And yes, it might be different than what we want, But the scriptures are clear from beginning to end. What God gives is good. And always better. 
than anything we could manufacture on our own. You know, it's a little bit like it's a little bit like talking to a toddler about money. You ever had those conversations with with a small child where you hold in your hand, you know, you, you offer them a quarter, shiny quarter, or maybe a hundred dollar bill. Maybe you wouldn't give a toddler a hundred dollar bill, but you offer them a bill. I guarantee you. Almost every time, if not every time, if they have to choose, they're going to pick a shiny, heavy quarter and not the dollar. You've seen it happen. You probably did it when you were a child. And so often, you and I settle for life's quarters. When all the while, God is offering us hundreds, thousands, so much more. And we're afraid to, to give up our quarters for God's blessings. It really comes down to not so much are you willing to pay the price as it is What in the world would keep us from wanting to receive all that God has for us? Even as we open up our hands and we believe that in the goodness of God, our loving Heavenly Father, that His plans for us his dreams for us, his blessings upon us will far exceed anything we might sacrifice. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of what it means to be a disciple. And it's the call on every one of our lives. Please pray with me. In this moment of silence, let's open our ears, our minds, our hearts to whatever Christ may be saying to us. Perhaps something we need to surrender. Maybe it's our our very life. Father, we acknowledge today that you are good.
And we acknowledge that you ask a great deal of us. Help us today to more and more open our palms. The things that are precious to us. To you. Our loving, gracious, heavenly father. In whose name we pray. Amen.